Welcome to Philosophy Gets Schooled. I'm Simon Kirchin, a philosopher based at the University of Kent. I'm also director of the British Philosophical Association. This is the short summary episode on the ontological argument. Um, elsewhere in Philosophy Gets Schooled episodes, which you can get from uh, pretty much every podcast site, there's a longer discussion episode on the ontological argument where I discuss it with three teachers, Michael Platt, Paul Moorbridger, and Ben Jones. In this short summary episode, though, I'm just going to introduce the ontological argument and give you a flavour of our longer discussions uh, in the other episode. Uh, the ontological argument um, appears in lots of different uh, traditions around the world, um, uh, although we do focus a lot on uh, the the, um, tr uh, the ideas developed through the Christian tradition. Um, uh, it's also something that appears in lots and lots of different specifications. So if you're doing anything in philosophy and religious studies, it's likely you're coming across the ontological argument. So it's in AQA Philosophy A-level, AQA Religious Studies A-level, it's in OCR, Edexcel, EDUCAS A-level for Religious Studies. Uh, it'd probably be taught in the IB. Um, it isn't mentioned explicitly in Scottish hires, but um, Descartes, uh, as I'll mention in a moment, as we hear about in the longer episode, Descartes in his meditations develops uh, a version of the ontological argument. It's not mentioned explicitly in the Scottish hires specification, if my memory is correct, but understanding the ontological argument will be important for understanding what Descartes doing in the meditations as a whole. So it's worth looking out and just finding out a bit, a bit about um, before we get on to the ontological argument itself, um, what about that word, ontological? So, ontos uh, is Greek for being, and uh, ontological means that we're looking at the concept of God, the very being of God, reflecting on it, and just by reflecting on it, then some people think you can show that God exists. And that's a very special sort of way of thinking and a special sort of argument. So other arguments of the existence of God, of which there are plenty, might um, look to the world and our experience of the world to show that, hey, our experience is a certain way, the world is a certain way, and that implies or entails uh, the existence of God or a God or a greater being or something. So some people think, uh, as we know from the teleological argument, the world seems as if it's designed, in which case that might imply or indeed entail a designer. Um, similarly, there are arguments for the existence of God based on our experience. Um, there's also the cosmological argument, and there's lots of other arguments as well. But the ontological argument is special. We're just focusing on the very idea of, our, of God, of our concept of God. Okay. So quite a few people, as we say in the in the um, longer episode, quite a few people have, have had a crack at the ontological arguments. Um, in the discussion episode, we focus on three main versions, that due to St. Thomas Anselm, who was Archbishop of Canterbury uh, many, many, many centuries ago. Uh, René Descartes, a uh, French philosopher, started the early modern period, often uh, referred to as the father of modern Western philosophy. And then uh, a 20th century American philosopher called Norman Malcolm. And they're all riffing on the same idea. Uh, so let me just, in this, to summarize, just give you an idea of that general idea. So if we think about God, 
we might think of all sorts of attributes, and that's going to be a different episode as, as well, thinking about uh, God being omniscient and omnipotent, so all-knowing, all-powerful, God being uh, all-loving and good. There's something even kind of more basic than that. We might think God's just the greatest. And further, we might think God is the greatest being that can be conceived Right. So you might think, oh, he's a great being. And you might think, well, I can I can add to that. I can make it even greater. And then from that conception, I can add even more bits. And, and that makes it even greater. It's a greater and greater and greater and greater conception. Well, pretty much, obviously, whatever your religious views, God or what, what we're labeling as God is going to be the greatest, the greatest uh, being that can be conceived that we can think about. And the shift in different ways, in different versions, is basically to say, well, look, if if God's the greatest being that can be conceived, then surely God would exist. Well, why is that? Well, well, surely um, the greatest being that could be conceived would exist. They would be able to do stuff, right? Um they, they, they would exist, right? It's better to exist. It's greater to exist than not exist. So if God is the greatest being that can be conceived, then existence has to be part of that conception, as it were. God exists. Not that he doesn't exist. And so, well, therefore God exists. If God is the greatest being that can be conceived and if um, existing is better than not existing, then, well, uh, God exists. And there's different versions of it, different ways I can say it. But that's the essence of what's going on in the ontological argument. Um, Anselm, as uh, I say, uh, Archbishop Canterbury, a great medieval philosopher, he writes about, uh, develops, reflects on the ontological argument, this idea in a, a kind of book of prayer called Proslogion, um, uh, particularly in what are referred to as chapters two and three. Descartes develops uh, an ontological argument in meditations. As I say, Norman Malcolm uh, reflects on uh, various versions of the ontological argument, but particularly takes a lot of inspiration from Anselm and writes a very famous article in the mid-20th century uh, developing what he thinks might be a new version of it, uh, arguable whether it is or not. So how might you attack it? Well, um, there's a... A, a monk who's a contemporary of Anselm, uh, a guy called Gornillo, and we discuss his um, worry about the ontological argument. Let me just give you a flavour of it. So Gornillo, in fact, thinks about islands. Imagine lovely desert island. Um, okay, well, think about an island. It's got a lovely white beach. It's a palm tree. Can we think of a better island? Well, yes. I mean, not that Gornillo gives this example. We can think of like a lovely cocktail bar or we can think of, you know, beautiful swimming, or we can think of the sun always shining, or whatever we can think of. We can keep on adding wonderful things to this island, or what we might describe as perfections. So if we can imagine the greatest island that can be conceived, then therefore that island must exist if we follow the same sort of logic, the same structure of Anselm's idea, as developed in Proslogy in chapter 2. But Gornilo just leaves that hanging and says, well, then something's gone wrong, right? Because the perfect island doesn't exist. We kind of know that. And in fact, for, 
it doesn't have to be Ireland, we could substitute it for anything. We'd say the perfect podcast exists or the perfect philosopher exists or the perfect whatever exists. But do these things actually exist? It doesn't seem that they do. So why would we think the same about God? Of course, Gornillo's a monk. He thinks God exists. What he's worried about is the argument. And Anselm introduces something which people pick up on. Norman Malcolm develops it um, in chapter three. But of course, he's not writing chapter three in response to Gornelow. So he's got two ideas, chapter two, chapter three. Gornelow's just looking at it. And Malcolm spots there's an interesting thing that, that Anselm does in chapter three. That's the kind of standard story anyway. Um, and Anselm introduces a kind of idea that people think is very significant, which Malcolm thinks was significant. And that's the idea of not just existing, but necessarily existing. So yeah, sure, existence can be, you know, you can come in and out of existence. Um, uh, you can exist, you can't exist, all sorts of things. There can be ideas of islands that do exist, they, they don't exist. But what seems very interesting is the and to mark some difference, is the difference between happening to exist and having to exist. So I happen to exist. This podcast happens to exist. You, I'm afraid to tell you, happen to exist. We all happen to exist. My parents might never have met. Your parents might never have met. Um, I might have decided just not to record this particular episode or develop this podcast series. It's all contingent existence. Whereas having to exist means there's no choice. This thing has to exist, whatever it is. The podcast has to exist. You have to exist. The island has to exist. It's what's referred to as necessary existence. But of course, as we know, podcasts don't have to exist. You don't have to exist. Islands don't have to exist. And yet we might think, well, perhaps God has to exist. That might be <clears throat> part of the conception of, of God. If we make this move, having to exist is more perfect than having to exist. Sorry, got that wrong. Having to exist is more perfect than happening to exist. Make sure you don't make that mistake when you're doing any of your writing or learning. Um, and so necessary existence is more perfect than contingent existence. Uh, and some people think, well, that's more perfect. It's a different sort of existence. It's better. Oh, well, in that case, if God is the greatest being that can be conceived, then having to exist is more perfect than happening to exist. So therefore, God must exist. Um, and just to continue the story, then people say, hey, that's that's kind of interesting. But then kind of short, sharp shock. You might reformulate what we've been saying is this. Um, well, perhaps uh, if God exists, then God exists necessarily. That seems to be a very, very important idea. That That's what some people take away from what I've just discussed in the last five minutes between happening and having to exist, between contingent and necessary existence. So we've got what's often referred to as a conditional statement. If God exists, then God exists necessarily. If God exists, he doesn't happen to exist, he has to exist. But conditional statements are very interesting. There's two parts. There's the bit that follows the if directly, and then there's the bit that directly follows the then, what's often referred to as the antecedent, and then the conditional. If God exists, that's the antecedent in this example, then God exists necessarily, which is the conditional. And the point is, we still don't know whether the antecedent is true. If God exists, then he exists necessarily. Yeah, but does God exist in the first place? 
that's a very, very short and sweet kind of discussion. There's lots more to say uh, about that particular move with the ontological argument. Um, we haven't discussed uh, Descartes. Um, I'm not going to discuss too much about Descartes and the meditations, but there's a the, the discussion I've given you of Anselm gives you a flavour of what Descartes doing, and he compares um, God's existence with understanding what triangles are like and understanding the definition of a triangle. There's a very important response to Descartes, um, which Immanuel Kant, the great uh, German philosopher, develops. And again, Kant is a believer, but he's worried about the argument, um, not just Descartes' version, but the ontological argument itself. Um, and he makes a very important point that kind of um, runs through a lot of this discussion, a lot of the opposition to the ontological argument, which is this. Is existence a perfection? Is it a quality of things? Um, and when we say that so-and-so exists, are we talking about a predicate, right? Is it a quality of, of things? Or perhaps it's doing something quite different. So we can imagine that an island has a palm tree, that it's sandy, that it's great for swimming in, and so on and so forth. But when we say that the, oh yeah, and the island exists, are we adding anything to the island? Or is saying that something exists doing, doing a different job in our conceptual scheme and in how we speak? Um, we talk about that a lot in the longer discussion. And also note that uh, Kant's onto something, and then there's some very interesting developmental work in the 20th century by philosophers of language that think about the idea of existence being a perfection or a predicate. Um, but of course, if you think that existence is not a perfection, it's not a predicate, then that undercuts a lot of the um, the ontological argument, certainly as it's being developed, just as um, uh, the little bit I gave about uh, necessary existence and that conditional statement might undercut a lot of the move that people make, particularly Norman Malcolm. So there's lots more to say about the ontological argument, but that gives you a sketch and the bare bones of it. Um, and certainly I'd recommend you uh, listen to the longer episode uh, where I'm talking with Michael, Paul and Ben. Um, I hope you enjoyed this shorter episode. I hope you enjoy the longer episode. Uh, and if you enjoyed these, I hope you'll listen to some more of our episodes on philosophy gets schooled. <laughs>